the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Super excited to have Riley Gaines of the Independent Women's Forum here in Texas to support Save Women's Sports Bill SB 15. And uh, you are fresh (laughs) off of testifying you're everywhere these days. So thanks for spending the time. What did you say today in, in Texas? Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you. And, and I totally agree. This is a true testament to technology. I know we were talking <laughs> off air. If you could see my setup on my phone right now, it's hilarious. Um, but I'm here testifying in Texas. Texas has previously, I believe last year, they passed um, legislation that would protect fairness in women's sports um, K through 12. But they didn't have that collegiate level protected. And so I, of course, vowed to be here if that was something they would be putting forward, because I understand why it's so important to protect that collegiate level. These are the girls who um, I mean, we've worked our whole lives to get to that point, the highest level you can compete. Essentially, it needs to be protected. We shouldn't face um, unfair competition. And so I'm here. I shared my experience. I shared Um, what the competition looked like, what the locker room looked like, what the silencing piece looked like, because these are things that a lot of people won't talk about. And a lot of these representatives don't know if someone won't tell them explicitly. Um, And so that's why I'm here. It's been great. They're still testifying on the floor right now. There are 57 people signed up to testify. Um, So really great stuff. Uh, You know, it's interesting. And you talk about how young women have worked their whole lives. Now, I covered two Olympic games where I covered two Team USA swim teams. And I can tell you that talking to these athletes, watching them, it is grueling. Now, the men do it, too. Women, you know, they do their training. The men do it, too. But here's the difference. When you suddenly in college decide, I'm not having success, or whatever is behind your decision to transfer into a women's team, suddenly it's a very different story. You are now taking all those years of having trained as a male and jumping into the women's pool and saying, I'm going to compete with you. So by my account and what I believe in from everything I've read, Riley, and I think you agree, there is no amount of hormone therapy, uh, puberty blockers, whatever it is. Let's talk about the case of Leah Thomas that would have diminished everything Leah Thomas did before she became Leah Thomas. So building muscle, competing as a male, all of that stuff This to me was absurdity. It was the height of absurdity. So now you've got people like Brittany Griner saying, I'm going to, I'm going to die on this hill. I'm going to fight for transgender rights. No one is saying that transgender athletes shouldn't compete. It's a matter of what lane (laughs) to, to use a pun in which they should compete. So how, how did you take Brittany's Brittany Griner's remarks in the last couple of days? It just blows my mind. You have people like Brittany Griner. You have someone like Megan Rapino and those 37 other athletes who signed on. You have someone like Billie Jean King, who was once a crusader for women's sports. We really have Billie Jean King to a credit for Title IX. And these women are now coming out. Of course, they're either done playing or at the end of their career. 
And of course, none of these three ladies I've mentioned, they don't have daughters to defend. Um, so hearing them advocate for male inclusion in women's sports and women's spaces and like locker rooms, it's just disingenuous. It's to me, again, knowing these women are done playing or on the verge of being done playing, they have nothing to lose. Um, they would rather be kind and inclusive and virtue signal. But in reality, it's not inclusive to allow men into our sports. It's, it's exclusive. It's exclusive to the very female athletes who Title IX was passed to protect. Um, and I want to touch on the misconception you mentioned about, you know, something that I've, I've seen time and time again, traveling state to state like I'm doing right now, um, both at the federal and state level. We saw it at the federal level last week when um, the U.S. House of Representatives voted on this and not one Democrat voted. Um, in favor of protecting women and girls, what they constantly say is this is this is a hate bill. It bans trans athletes from playing. Just like you mentioned, this does not ban anyone. I do not believe anyone, regardless of your age, your race, your sex, your gender identity, your sports you're playing. No one should be banned from playing sports. That's, that's the silliest assumption ever. Everyone is entitled to fair and safe play. And that's exactly what these state bills, that's exactly what Title IX was passed to protect and these federal bills yeah. that are going through. That's what this argument is, is about. It's fairness. Yep. It's pretty simple as that. And you went to UC San Francisco to make this argument, to appear on stage. And this is when your profile skyrocketed. You were there speaking. If you don't mind, I'd love to go through the timeline. You arrive on campus were you facing any headwinds as you, you know, be before you even got to San Francisco to, to make this speech? So I knew San Francisco would, of course, be a different environment. Um, I'm from Tennessee, so I, I knew, you know, what I'm used to at home, the people in my community. Um, that's very different than the demographic and the environment in San Francisco. And I knew this, of course, I was aware and I thought I knew what I was getting myself into. I knew there would be protesters. I had already heard of counter events that were going on in opposition to me being there. Um, but truthfully, in a sense, this, this kind of excited me, not because I want controversy or not because I'm looking for arguments, but because it was a way to get in front of people who didn't agree with me. Um, maybe I was naive for thinking they would come a little more open minded. Um, now I'm looking back and I understand I was totally giving them the benefit of the doubt and giving myself the benefit of the doubt. Um, and so I was excited for this opportunity. I arrived to campus an hour and a half before the event where I was supposed to be meeting the campus police department. Um, they were supposed to meet me at this parking garage. They would go over kind of any sort of exit strategy, just the logistics of it. And then they would walk me over to the event. And so I get to the parking garage. The campus police never show up. Um, so I, I just figured, you know, not a big deal. This is an hour and a half before the event. They will probably show up to the, the venue and we'll talk then. So I walk over to the venue. It's on the third floor of the building um, in this hour and a half. No one, no police department shows up. But again, I was naive, but I thought I, I just didn't think it was a big deal. Um, I thought the protesters, you know, if people are protesting. Of course, I respect their right to do so. And that's not something that bothers me. If it's something as simple, having signs, uh, maybe some heckling, of course, nothing turning physical. But I understand that's totally that's their right to do just as just as it's my right to be there speaking. Um, mm -hmm. So about 30 minutes before the event, people start filtering in and very quickly within 60 seconds, the room has reached maximum capacity. Um, so there was only standing room and the administrators who were there, they stopped letting people in for fire safety and things like that. And so the hallway was beginning to fill. And so in the room, there was about 50, 50 supporters versus protesters. 
Um, and I was able to deliver my speech. Um, it was, again, there was some heckling. There were people who marched over to the event coming from a, um, a counter event where they all made signs and walked over together and different things. So there was some heckling, but the, I answered some questions and things like that. And it was good, um, engaging, but then it was only after the event where everyone stood up to leave an ambush of people rushed into the room. And when I was delivering so, my speech, so they were out, an ambush of people that were outside, correct. rushed into the room. Correct. Okay. And when I was delivering my speech, I could hear them in the hallway and there was hundreds of people in the hallway and I could hear one side of the hallway yell trans rights are under attack. And then the other side would, um, yell back. What do we do? We fight back. And so I could hear it and it was of course unnerving, but again, it never occurred to me that it would remotely turn violent. But these ambushers, they enter the room, they turn off the lights, they flicker the lights, they rush to the front. Um, this is when um, both myself and members of the room were assaulted, essentially. An officer comes up and grabs me, to which, again, I had no idea there was an officer in the room. This officer, she was not wearing anything indicating she was a police. Her face was covered by a mask. And she grabs me and says, come with me, I'm, I'm the police. And I, was, I didn't believe her. Um, there was nothing indicating she was an officer. And so I was very reluctant to kind of follow her, but truthfully I had no choice. And so she led me out of the room to which we went to the hallway and we were only met with, um, more protesters. The stairway was blocked off. Um, so that's when we ultimately had to go to a separate room along that hallway where I was essentially barricaded and truthfully kidnapped for three plus hours. Um, I missed my flight home. These protesters were yelling, horrible, awful, violent, vengeful, yeah. hateful things at both myself and the officers for three hours. So they stood out in that hallway outside of the room you were put into for over three hours yelling this stuff. They did. Um, they were yelling things such as to the officers, they would say, you know, you're only protecting her because she's white. They were yelling things such as you, you should have known what you were getting yourself into when you came here. You knew we would riot. You asked for this. Um, they were yelling things such as, um, you know, what they wanted to do to me, open that door and let her out and let us handle her, which in those oh, moments, I mean, you truthfully do fear for your life, just knowing what they wanted to do to you, what they would have done to you, had you not been protected by the officers who, and, and these officers that were in the room with you, what were they doing? Were they calling for any kind of backup to come clear this hallway out? <laughs> the officers did a. Of course, I always respect law enforcement, and I think their job is admirable um, to the highest degree. But these officers, they were supposed to lock the doors at a certain point so um, no one could enter the building after the event had started. They didn't lock the doors. And when I asked them, you know, why didn't you guys lock the doors? They told me, well, there's a lot of doors. <laughs> I said, okay, well, aren't there a lot of officers? Um, they were terrified to do their job. And assert any kind of force because these, these protesters, again, I could hear them yelling things. Um, you're racist. You hate the LGBTQ community. You're a homophobe. And so these officers, they didn't want to put themselves in that position where they're being accused yeah. of these things. So therefore they would rather, um, not effectively do their job, which ultimately was why I was at risk for my safety. What finally made these people dissipate? Was it just enough time passed? They were, they knew they weren't going to get anywhere. And so they left or how did it happen? They had to, the campus police department had to call the city of San Francisco police department. Um, ultimately again, three and a half hours later, they showed up and they were able to more effectively create an exit strategy. Um, when we left, the protesters were 
of course, still in the hallway. Um, these officers, they, they, there was probably 20 of them. They formed a diamond type shape around me and we essentially pushed through the protesters to get outside where we were only met with more protesters. And it was at this point we had to start running because they were chasing us. Um, I eventually got to a car. There was no, um, police escort. There was no police who checked up on me after there was no police who followed me to make sure I safely made it off of campus. Um, so <laughs> it was, it was interesting to say the least. Uh, and what is the state, the status of any legal action you might take against the university? Um, that is in process. I have officially announced that I will be pressing charges against everyone who committed a crime that evening, whether that be students directly, whether that be the administration who has since come out and um, really doubled down on their stance. They applauded the bravery of their students who uh, ambushed me. Um, so there will be legal action and that's in process. Yeah. It's so brave for a mob to go after a, a one woman. It's so brave <laughs> for a mob to get together and sh shout obscenities at a woman, a single woman who had no, yeah, that was so brave. Uh, I think you were the brave one in this instance. I think most people agree with that. They, you're, you're following on Twitter has like quadrupled since the last time I talked to you. <laughs> people are in admiration. You're getting a lot of support. And, and I asked you this when you and I have messaged in the past, you know, whether you felt like you were getting more support or more of this, this backlash and, you know, as you weigh it now, net, net, how do you sense the world on this issue? Are you getting more support? Do you feel like people are on your side or is there enough of a wave of the, the other side that you feel like this is going to be a long slog? Just as you would expect, just as anyone with a brain would expect, the overwhelming majority of not just female athletes, the overwhelming majority of the general public, even the overwhelming majority of solely within the Democratic Party, they agree with this. They know men should not compete in women's sports. It's simple. And just as you mentioned, the San Francisco incident, it really backfired on these protesters because it showed, of course, my social media following, following um, it skyrocketed. Um, it really only gave me more credibility and it showed how unhinged these people will become. And it truthfully highlighted perfectly why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I'm, it seems as if I'm a lone voice in this when, in regards to That's, other athletes. That is a weird thing, Riley. I do want to get into that, this notion that of being a lone voice. Now, Megan Kelly, uh, a extremely popular podcaster, and she's got the show on Sirius XM. She's, she's been behind you a thousand percent. Uh, she took a picture of herself this weekend wearing a red hat that said, make women female again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there have been a lot of voices that have spoken out. I'm just surprised that they're, that they are not being amplified as much. I, I wonder what you think of the fact that you do seem like this lone warrior out there. It's, um, again, being in the same situation firsthand where I dealt with the administrations trying to silence you, the NCAA desperately trying to silence you coaches. I, I saw that with my own eyes. And so I understand to a degree why it feels as if I'm a lone voice, um, because I know these girls are terrified. They are told awful things, Leah Thomas's teammates in, in particular, which I've talked to at great lengths. And just actually this week, one of them messaged me and said she's ready to come out and use her 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 name and her voice and her face behind this issue, which is huge. Um, so stay on the lookout for that. That'll be really exciting. But okay, these girls, they're told, you know, 
if you feel uncomfortable, and I swear I have a screenshot of their administration responding to them in an email saying this, if you feel uncomfortable seeing male genitalia in the locker room, here are counseling resources that you should seek. They were told that they can't take a stance because their school has already taken their stance for them. They are told, you'll never get a job, you'll never, you'll never get into grad school, you'll lose your friends, you'll lose your scholarship if you speak up. These girls, they were forced to go to mandatory LGBTQ meetings every week to learn about how just by being cisgendered, they were oppressing Leah Thomas. And so these girls, they're emotionally blackmailed. They're terrified. They're scared. They're um, silenced into submission is what it is. And so, and again, they see what happens to me when I go to San Francisco. They see the, yeah. um, the backlash that I receive online. Again, I don't know if they're accurately seeing all the support because, again, the support is tenfold. But those comments, those those negative things said about you, they weigh on people a lot more than the positive do. And these girls, they just don't have the confidence and the security and the leadership to put themselves in that position. But I'm hopeful that the tides are turning and more and more parents, more and more coaches. We need more men even to stick up for female athletes. And I'm, I'm confident that that's coming. We recently saw an NFL uh, uh, front office guy, or I can't remember if he was a GM or a coach yes. uh, that wore a sweatshirt about protecting women's sports. And I, I retweeted it. You tweeted it. I know it was, it, it I have goosebumps thinking about totally. it because we need that so much totally. from so many people at other levels. I mean, you're, you're out there fighting this fight and you talk about the confidence and the security that you, you need to do this. I just... Um, do you ever get afraid? <laughs> you know, really? No, it's kind of a blessing, but I'm so grounded in my support system, my family, my husband, my teammates, my teammates, of course, they, they agree a hundred percent with what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, I'm grounded in my faith. My faith is something that keeps me strong. It allows me to endure, um, what I'm going through, what we as female athletes are going through. Um, my favorite verse is Romans 8:18, which has been applicable my whole life through swimming and everything. It's for our present sufferings aren't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And I just look at that verse now. Again, it's been my favorite my whole life, but it's so true even for, for this instance. Um, yes, some of the negatives, um, they're definitely there. They definitely have an effect, but it's not worth comparing to the changes that can and will and are being made to protect girls and women. I mean, it, it is amazing to me that here we are in the year 2023 and we're having to defend <laughs> women's rights that were established 50 years ago. It, th this, this, this idea that we can take someone who was born a male and compete all their lives as a male and suddenly within a year say, you know what, they've taken enough of the medication or whatever it is, you know, and, and Leah Thomas herself has come out recently and said that you and people like me were misogynists because we see this, you know, we can accept her as a woman in her life, but not in the pool. And therefore somehow that's misogynistic. <laughs> you had to have heard that yes. appearance on a podcast from Leah and lost your mind. What, what was your reaction? It just blows my mind. Truthfully, when I hear that, um, what I see, the words that come to mind is entitlement. It's narcissism. It's um, putting your own feelings, your own safety, your own privacy, your own fairness, your own dignity, your own mental health. I could go on um, above every single other person's knowing you're the one affecting all of those, all of those things for the majority 
of the population. Women on their, it makes up 51% of the world. Um, Leah knew by competing with us that we were uncomfortable in the locker room. Leah knew that we were giving up our opportunities to someone who would have never um, earned these same accolades in the men's division, yet didn't care. It just shows an utter disregard f- for women. Um, it's, it's, that's what misogyny is. Um, feminism and, and sex-based terms, they're not fluid. These aren't terms that just get to change based on um, how you're feeling. And so to totally change... <laughs> what the feminist movement is and what the feminist movement was started for, um, what it represented in the nineties, what it really represented up until what three, maybe years ago. I, I think COVID was a big turning point for a lot of this stuff. Yeah, um, I agree. These terms don't change. You don't get to change them just because you feel like it. Um, so now I, I guess I do consider myself a feminist, which was something I never would have considered before. And so I kind of deem it as a, um, I call it a modern day feminist, which just means women deserve respect. We deserve equal opportunity and we don't deserve to be overshadowed, overlooked, um, by men, um, and the farce of being a woman. Yeah. 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 You can't just, um, decide one day and be given all of the privileges that women have fought so hard to earn. And by the way, I always like to bring this up and I know it makes people uncomfortable, but I think most of you women probably had to train and compete even when you were going through your monthly period. Um, You know, you're built differently. Uh, There are all kinds of things that women are completely, that are completely unique to women. Totally. And and uh, this is um, Leah didn't Leah didn't have to do that. No, <laughs> this is very true in the case of swimming, where one we're we train six hours a day, um, holding your breath. Let's let's put that out there. You're essentially starved of oxygen for six hours a day, which can be healthy for you. Now that I'm looking yeah. back on it, but um, <laughs> when you are menstruating and you are um, losing blood and you're you're kind of starving yourself of oxygen in that way. It's you're essentially anemic at this point. Um, speaking from my experience, then you have to go on birth control to to really curb the side effects of, of menstrual cycles and then dealing with the side of uh, side effects of birth control. It's um, there's so much that goes into it. And this was one week out of every month, your whole yeah. life. This affects yeah. essentially 25 percent of your training. Um, so when you put it into perspective like that, knowing that this is someone who never has to deal with those things. Um, it's eye opening. Even now, um, in the vein of being totally transparent, this is something I'm currently dealing with right now. And my back hurts so bad, um, which is of course a side effect of this. And I was thinking yeah. about this morning, if I was still having to swim, I physically could not do a flip turn and push off the wall because my back is in so much pain. Um, so there's just so many little things that don't seem like a big deal that go into being a female athlete. Amen to that. You know, uh, people are going to remember the Leah Thomas moment. They are also going to remember the Riley Gaines moment. And I think that um, it's 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 just so nice to be able to talk with you I, because I support you wholeheartedly. And I'm so glad you're with the Independent Women's Forum. So tell us now what's next for you. You're in Texas. You just testified. You're doing this podcast. Where do you go from here? I think I'm just going to... <laughs> really what I was supposed to be doing. This past year, I was supposed to be in dental school. Um, I've actually reapplied for dental school in the fall. I, um, I scored in the top percentile in the DAT, which is the dental admissions test. I really nice. was geared up my whole life to do this. Um, 
that has clearly been flipped upside down, but I see the relevance in what I'm doing. And I know dental school will always be there. And so what I'm going to continue doing is exactly what I've been doing this past year, traveling state to state, testifying. Um, I just got back from North Carolina and now in Texas, and, and that's only going to continue and really only continuing to get in front of college campuses, because I think it's so crucial that people my age, 22-year-olds and younger, yeah. they see the harm of this. So many people, we see how administrations are acting and responding as as evident in the San Francisco um, incident. Yeah. These are supposed to be places of higher education and um, accepting new perspectives. They, they pride themselves on diversity, but that's not really what it is. They don't want diversity. Not diversity of thought. No. Not diversity of thought. No. Just, um, yeah, it, it's... Um... I just, Godspeed to you. I wish you nothing but the best. You know, you have support of some of the most amazing voices in, on the women's side of things. You've done a flip turn in your career here a little bit and you'll get back to dental school when it, when it's ready for you. And someday some little kid is going to say, mom, guess who did my teeth today? (laughs) It was Riley Gaines, man. That was so cool. Uh, so I, in all of your life, good luck. Uh, I know you're still kind of a newlywed and your husband is so proud of you. And I love that. And uh, so Riley, thanks so much for being here. Just keep, keep doing what you're doing and call on us if there's anything at all that you need. Absolutely. And thank you for your leadership. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.